God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers, and submission to him. My cure is over everything. He knows everything. He sees everything. He feels everything. You know, I don't have to worry because my doctor has got it, got it in his hand. He knows exactly what to do for me. I was watching a, a, a show yesterday, and it was a, a it was an ER show. And, you know, when I'm studying, I'll, I'll have things on, and I'll mute it. And if something comes on, I'll, I'll unmute it so I can listen to what they're saying. And, uh, and it was a girl that was dying on the table. She was young. And uh, she had been in a welding school, and she had, uh, she had uh, tripped over a hose and broke her wrist. Well, she started dying on them on the table. And they knew that it wasn't that. What they found out later is, is that she'd been using a grinder, and the grinder blew up. And the grinder, they, when they rolled her over and lifted up her shirt, they found a little teeny puncture, a little teeny one. And a little piece of that grinder had come off that, that, that grinder when it exploded and went into her, cut her spleen, went through her spleen, and cut a nick and artery, and she was bleeding to death inside. And it, was a, it, was, it looked like a pencil prick. That's all it was. Doctor there, that medical doctor, that ER doctor, found it. That's the guy I want working on me. I want this guy working on me because this guy knows the problem before everybody else does. That's who I want working for me. All right? Now, let's go back to verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. Okay? You understand what's happening here? What does a text like this mean to you? The righteous for the unrighteous. The saved, the right one for the unsaved. What did that, when, when you realized, when you realized long time ago, whenever that was, that I am no longer am bound by the, by, the, by the disease of sin in my life. No longer. And you realize it not because of anything I did, it's because of what Jesus did. How'd that feel? How'd it feel to you to know that was a, that was a, a reality in your life? How'd that feel? Back in my day when, when, when I was converted, they, you know, the, the, it, was, it was a lot easier to convert folks in, in that day and time. You know, a lot easier. Sit down at a table with someone, you could teach them the truth, they'd come to, it was a lot easier. But I can remember, I can remember uh, people being converted and not really being converted, just get them wet. I remember that too. A lot of that happened. And, uh, but there are people sitting in this room, two of us for sure. I know two of us here. I don't know, I don't know if some of the rest of you when that happened. But I know the two of us came on pretty, pretty, pretty similar time by the same guy, and uh, and I know how I felt. I don't know how Jim felt, but I know how I felt when it came to uh, uh, my walk with Christ and my my no longer having to having to deal with the sin of my life and the, and the disease that I was a part of. I felt awesome. It was an awesome experience, and I never looked back. I never looked back. I said, I said, I've said to you, I'm not going back there. I won't go back there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I know what that looked like. I know what it felt like. I know what it was like, and I won't go back there because I know what it cost me, and I know what and I know what this cost him. It cost him his life. We're going to go over there in a minute, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. I want you this morning, if maybe no other time, you really focus on what did it cost for you to be where you are. What did it cost? And then when you take those elements, you don't forget that. You you remember that both times you take those elements. This is what it cost him. So that I can have freedom, this is what it cost him. That's what he's talking about. The righteous for the unrighteous. I want somebody to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just I don't need all of you. Just somebody turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and get verse 21. I want you to read it for me. I don't care. Just somebody get it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 
did many, many times when they first during communion. I like to read the Psalms in house neighbors. Uh huh. Make, see, and everybody has a different different thing that they do to, re, to remind you of where you are. Somebody got it? Mark, you got it? Reese. God made him who had no sin. Now, hold up. God made him who had no sin. Go ahead. To be sin. To be sin. For us. For us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What did he say? Jesus became what he was not so that I could become something I could never be. That's what it cost. He gave himself up. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, he emptied himself of himself, left heaven, emptied himself, and came here. You don't think that was a suffering for him? You don't think he suffered doing that? He suffered on the cross, and on the cross he says it's finished. God forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All these things he said. You know, you know woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He's given his, the charge and the control of his mother over to John. These are things that he was doing while he suffered on the cross so that you and I could be free from the disease of sin in our lives. So we can have the cure. Stick a needle in my arm, I want a double dose. Give me a double dose of this. I want this. You know, that's what he's saying in this chapter. He said, the righteous for the unrighteous. Did Jesus deserve to die? Did he deserve to die? Could they find any charge against him? Who deserved to die? You did. You did. So... You know, when you look at those three crosses that were up there, thief on one side, thief on the other, and him in the middle, whose cross is that? It's yours. It's your cross. He took your place so that you didn't have to go do that. So that you could sit here in comfort and luxury and could and could honor and glorify him. So he did that for us. That's what he did. Now, look at what it says next. He said, And after being made alive, Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Here's the problem. Okay? How many of you have ever had to deal with this particular text? Or somebody dealing with this text? You ever had to deal with it? Good. Let me tell you some, some different ideologies. All right? One in particular that I just heard the other day. A guy, guy on this is a problem. If I said his name, you would know it instantly. All right? prominent guy, not part of the Church of Christ, but just a guy just happened I happened to hear it. I, I pulled up on YouTube and I said, oh my God, he's talking about the text. I'm going to do Sunday morning. I want to hear what he has to say. Oh my God. I'm glad I listened to it. He said that Jesus had to go to hell to complete the gospel. Because he had to go to hell to suffer and experience the suffering that we have to go through if we go to hell. That's what he said. And he said he can't fulfill the gospel if he doesn't go to hell. And I'm going, Hogwash. That's garbage. Then what? Why do you tell the thief on the cross today you'll be where, with me where? I don't think hell is paradise. Doesn't sound like anything I ever read. And I'm thinking, how is it that I'm smarter than this guy and I figured this out? And he didn't even bring up that text. And I'm going, God, I gotta tell him about this. There's other folks that believe that he just that he wanted to go and go, nah, 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 that kind of thing. That's that's the, the spirits are locked up in... That's what they're saying. They don't say it that way. I did it for, for effect. All right? But basically it's say, you didn't listen to me, you didn't obey me, and this is what you're losing. I don't believe that either. The more predominant one that I've heard Church of Christ preachers deal with is that he that he preached to the, to the through Noah in the days of Noah. That's the one. If And I'm not going to tell you, that you, you know that two of them I don't, I don't buy into at all. You know, I don't think you can prove either one of them, I think the text more leans towards the last one, that he was there through Noah, 
made alive in the Spirit, through the Spirit. But you know what I'm not going to do? We're not going to argue about it. You know why? Because when you do that, it takes away from what the whole real text is about, what this text is about. I think probably it's talking about him going to, to, to Noah's day. And, uh, and, I, and I want you, I want you to, I'll tell you what, let's turn to Genesis chapter 6 for a second. I want, I want you to look at this. Genesis chapter 6. Now, if you look at verse 3, it said, The Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortals. Their days will be 120 years. So he's given them a time frame. This is how long I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you 120 years. He said, My spirit will not. And that kind of coincides with, with 1 Peter 3, because it says Jesus made alive in the spirit and was there teaching with, you know, you know that's a leap. I understand that. But that's the kind of leap some people try to make. See, Jesus was there in the spirit, and he was only going to be there 120 years, and he was going to teach through Noah. Okay. Verse uh, verse 10, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And, uh, and then it tells Noah what to do. It says, I'm going to, I'm going to bring catastrophe because of the sin in the world, and I'm going to bring a, a complete deliverance for you. And he said, I want you to build a boat. You think Noah had to suffer while he's building this boat? He got three sons. He sucked. <laughs> what the heck is that supposed to be? <laughs> I won't even tell you what one of my sons told me yesterday. You know, disrespectful rat. Anyway, he knows. He's listening. He knows. This one. He knows. And he's not one here. Now, y'all put it together. Okay? Doesn't take a rocket. <laughs> Nancy's counterfeiting which one it is. Anyway. Anyway, and, and, you know, and it says in verse 22, and Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. So he built a boat, built the way God told him to, got it filled up with people, his sons and his, and his daughter-in-laws and his and his wife and himself, eight people, got in the boat. God closed the boat up. And if you go look at it, it says God closed the boat up. He didn't close it. God did. And, and God caused it to become a torrent. All right? And for... For over nine months, ten months, something like that, he's on that boat. Okay? And it's and it's fifteen cubits, which is eighteen feet higher than the highest mountains. That's how that's how that's how deep the water. That's what it says. Okay. I don't I'm not looking at what science says or anything. I'm just telling you what this said. I've listened I've listened, I've listened to what scientists say about what happens to the earth, if that happens to the earth. You know, I, 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 that's not what this is about. This is about it. Did God cause a flood to happen on the earth? And did he wipe out mankind and save Noah? Yes. Did he do that? Yes. Do you believe he did that? Yes. Okay. Don't have to be science or any of that stuff. It just does, did God say it? Do I believe he said it? Okay. Because that's that's pertinent to the text. If you don't believe that, then you're not going to believe the rest of it. You know what does he say? He said, "I'm going to kill him. I'm going to wipe them all out." And he wipes them out and he'll start them with you. Now, doesn't say that Shem, Ham, and Japheth and the three wives are any good. Doesn't say his wife's any good. Who's the righteous guy here? Noah. Noah's the righteous guy, not the rest of them. Noah, but he saved all eight of them. Now, go back to first. Now, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. It says, By faith Noah... 
when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Built an ark in holy fear. Means he was obedient. You know, part of the stipulation of the of the uh, of this cure, we have to be fearful of God and we have to be obedient from to God because we know what God's capable of. And I know what's gonna happen if I don't take advantage of this. And he said, in holy fear, build an ark to save his family. By this, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous that is in keeping with faith. Just building the boat was enough. You think there was questions being fired at him from every angle? Maybe sarcastically, probably sarcastically. Maybe, maybe it was, it was a, uh, it may have gotten physical at times. You think it could have? We don't know. Thinking about it, if I was there and I was building a boat, you know, how long would I take it before I'm gonna? I'm gonna throw a hammer at somebody. You know? Maybe he can't because he's a because he's a righteous guy. Maybe that shows how unrighteous I am. Because I probably after about six weeks of that, I'm gonna throw a hammer at somebody. You know? Shoot him with a nail gun or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the point is, is that if you go back here, he says that he uses this as an analogy. This is what happened. What did God do to Noah? Sin, the disease of sin, the spiritual crippling of sin is all around him. God, it says it grieved God that he'd even made man upon the earth. Grieved him. So, but he finds Noah, one guy. So you ask yourself, and I've used it before, you ask yourself, if Bendra is the only person on planet Earth that is going to be faithful to God, would Jesus still come? Yes. You know he would because he just proved it. He just proved it. That's how important you are. You understand how important you are? You're so important that he would have done it if you're the only one. Okay? So go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll go to in, in the middle of verse 20. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. Okay? So what saved them from the from the disease? The flood. Boat didn't save them, guys. Boat didn't. The flood saved them. Okay? They were in the boat because they were obedient. Being part of the church ain't going to save you, guys. You understand? Being part of the church ain't going to save you. You know, that's not what saves you. What saves you is that you're in the boat. And you're that the and the, the what the water signifies now is not a flood, but the blood that was shed on the cross. And we're going to look at that here in a minute, right? We're going to look at that some. Uh, that's why I wanted to get to this, because I want you to see the correlation. Uh, look at what he says next. He says, and it only a few were eight and all were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that also, also saves you. Any of you in here believe that water baptism saves you? You think it do I think it's necessary for Tommy? Absolutely. 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 You can still you can be saved and still be lost. That happens. All right. You know, we saw that people who were not converted just got wet, and and we we saw a lot of them, a lot of guys. We baptized a lot of guys in the jail, a lot of them. We baptized a lot of guys here. That's a lot of people here that are not faithful to that, weren't converted, not not committed from the heart, didn't take on the the, the cure of Jesus in their life. So he says here, it says baptism that's all will now save you. We know it's not the it's not the the baptism that saves you. It's the act of obedience to God and what comes because of that. Look at what else he says here. Huh? Yeah, but 
But that's the after effect. That what do I do now? I have to pick up my cross, deny myself, and follow him. Okay? That's what it means to be a disciple. But to get to be a disciple, something has to happen. I gotta get I gotta go from sick to well. Right? I gotta go from sick to well. Don't you think? You know, when, when the pandemic was going on, if you were if you were sick, what did they tell you you had to do? Stay home. Right? Stay home. Wear a mask. Right? Stay six feet away. Right? You know. And they said you need to do it for what two weeks, and it was ten days, and it was five days, and you know, right? Yeah. What you had to do. Now I don't know what they would have done. They caught you, not doing that. I don't know if there was a prison they had for you, or you know, electric shock therapy or something. I don't know, but they told us, you know, the only way you're going to stop the pandemic is got to do what we tell you. Right? Well, here he said, the only way you're going to stop this 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 spiritual disease is do what I tell you. This one works. We're not so sure about the other one, you know, and I'm not going to get in an argument with you over it. I'm just telling you, we weren't so sure. If they were, I don't think they were so sure because they kept revamping it all the time. Kept, you know, now, well, it's 14 days, and what, 10 days, okay, now we, we've decided now it's five days. Make up your mind. Which one is it? Yeah. But here we know. What is this selling? It says, baptism of the Holy now save you. Now i got to figure out how that, what that means. What does that mean to me? You know, look at what he said next. He said, it's not the removal of dirt from the body. It's not about getting wet. It's not, it's not about that. It's, the, it's the, the appeal of a good, clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean, guys? What does that mean, the appeal of a clear conscience? Or, or it says, my, one, one part says, a pledge of a clear conscience. What does that mean? What does it mean? What do you think it means? I mean, this is, this is absolutely connects to whether, you're, whether your salvation is meaning anything or not. Okay? Did I just get wet? Or did it mean something to me? What was going on with me? Was there something happening to me? Go ahead, Denzel, what are you going to say? Yeah, it, like I said, it clears the conscience because you're finally convicted of sin in your life Okay. the things, how you were living. Okay. And you get that done to you, okay. and it's removed. Okay. Tim? It, it washes away. I mean, like, washes away. It washes okay. away all okay. the sins. All right. Okay. Um, but that don't mean you're not Sin. I mean, that's not. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about. We're talking about what does baptism mean when it says when it says it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh. It's the answer of a clear conscience or the appeal of a clear conscience towards God. And we're saved by the resurrection of Christ. That's what we're saved by. That's what it says. Did that know what it says? Okay. Now, so what does it mean? That's the answer of a clear conscience. It's not to be born in a creature. Go ahead. It's not a physical washing. It's a spiritual. It's a spiritual washing. Okay. All right. You have to believe that it. Okay, I have to believe. Okay, all right. Anybody else? You're going to turn around. Okay. Your life around. Okay. Go the other direction. No, I'm going to turn around. Go the other direction. Okay. What did he tell the 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 Israelites in Acts chapter two? Was he tell them when he when he when he preaches a sermon? Peter gets up, preaches a sermon, said, "Said guys, man, you know that Jesus you you thought was a was a nut? That was the son of God. That was the son of God. And you put him on a cross. You killed him. You butchered him. You did. And and he and he points at him and says, "You're a bunch of murderers. Y'all killed God's son." And, and they said, what did they say? Men and brethren, what can we do? What can we do? That's the answer of a clear conscience. That's an answer of a conscience, an appeal of a conscience that's going, oh, my God, I'm wrong. Oh, my God, look at what I've done. Oh, my God, this is my fault, what I've done to my life. They knew, each individual knew, 3,000 of them knew that, there was, that, there, that they had committed an act, that person had committed an act that was beyond repair of them repairing. They couldn't repair it. That's what sin is, guys. 
It's an act that we do. It's a lifestyle we live that you cannot fix. You can stop the sin. You can stop living that way. All right? But you can't remove the effect of it. You can't remove that. Only God can do that. Can't. You know, it, it, it's, it's a, when he tells them, what does he tell them to do? Repent, every one of you. Right? No, that's not all he said. What did he say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that before. What does that mean? It means that God will come in and make residence with you. The part of the Godhead called the Spirit will come in and live with you. And I will become, you will become, we will become the temple of God. That's not a temple. Don't make it into one. Okay? That ain't a temple. Don't make it into one. This is a temple. I need to make this into one. I need to do everything I can do to make this into one from my perspective. And part of it, the first part of it, is I have to have a clear conscience. I have to have an appeal of a clear conscience. God, help me. I don't know what to do. I'm lost, and I need your help. I remember on my knees. I remember where I was. I remember what I, I remember everything about it. And I'm and I'm tears coming in my. I didn't, I didn't cry, but tears. And said, God, I'm lost, and I don't want to be lost no more. And I don't know what to do. I don't want to do. I need your help. Because I can't find my way out of this thing. I'm in a dark hole and I can't find my way out. And I don't know what to do. And I make one phone call. And I get Dwayne Wheel. You never convinced me that was chance or luck. No way. No way. God heard my prayer because I reached out to him and called out to him on his terms. Appeal of a clear conscience. Appeal of a conscience is broken. It's broken. I said, God, I need your help. I don't know what to do. And Dwayne Wheeler got a hold of me, came to my house that night. And, and, and we were baptized that same day. Not both were baptized that same day. It was a Tuesday evening. I still remember. I don't remember the date, but I remember that it was, a, it was Tuesday. Because the next day I'm going to church. And I'm sitting there singing in that old building. And I'm going, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> what in the world am I doing here? This is so far outside my wheelhouse, man. You know, I used to make fun of y'all as I drove by. Because y'all had to go to church on Wednesday. <laughs> Do what? Smucks. Yep, smucks. All, smucks. All of y'all smucks going to church. Look at y'all. Now I'm one. I'm one of the smucks. You know, and, I'm, and I'm going, what am I doing here? Oh, that's right. He saved me. And I believed it. That's what this is talking about. Now, then not everybody's going to have the same one, but it come to Jesus moment. Those people had a come to Jesus moment. Jesus said, repent of me. And it said, and it, if you go look at after they were baptized in about verse 40, I think, something like that, they were, and it says, they, that they rejoiced and they had everything in common. They became a community of believers. And in verse 47 it said, and God added to their number something the Old Testament, I mean the King James said, and added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's what he was doing. That's what's happened. I want to take you to, gosh, go to Acts chapter 22. I was not going to do this because I'm going to do it on, on, a, on Wednesday night. But some of you guys are not going to be in there, so I'll just do it again for those who are, in, are on this. I'll just do it again for you, but uh, because I wanted you guys to hear this, all right? Uh, I can't, I can't get to everything that I want to get to. I've got there's too much. You know, I, I wanted to do First John chapter one, where it says the blood of His Son cleanses up all our sins. All I have to do is walk in the light, have fellowship with one another. That's what He tells them. But here He said, this is the this is the testimony, the literal testimony of Paul about his experience on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9 is Luke's account of it. Okay? This is Paul's actual account. Two witnesses defending himself before a court saying what happened. Look at what he said. Chapter 22. Brothers and fathers, we're in verse 1. Listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. 
Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus. And he goes on, and in verse 6, he said, About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven and uh, flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you were told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand in Damascus because the brilliance of the light had, had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. What happens in chapter 9 is, is God goes to Ananias and I decide, I ain't going. You know who that guy is? The killer. I'm not going over there. That guy's a butcher, man. I'm not going to that. That's, you go look at Acts chapter 9, and that's what the account from Luke says. This is not here, because Paul wasn't there. He didn't know all of that. All right? Here, Ananias comes to him and said, said, you know, puts his hand on him, he receives his sight. Okay? But the dialogue before that is, I don't want to go. I don't want to go over there. And God tells him in Acts chapter 9, he said, I've got a special mission for him. I've got a special mission for him. I'm going to send him to the Gentiles. Okay? Now, look at what he says. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, you look at that text from there. What does it look like to you when it comes to Paul's condition between him and God? What does it look like? Looks like he's saved, but it's not. It looks like he's saved. Does it not look like? What does he say? He said, God has chosen for you to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. And oh, by the way, he's got a special mission for you. Does it sound not sound like he's saved? That he's in a right relationship with God. Does it not sound like that? If you don't read not one more verse, does it not sound like that? Tell me the truth. What does it sound? It sounds like he has a ticket. He's got a ticket onto the front row. Doesn't it look like that? Read the next verse. Now what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name. Whoa. Wait a minute. Why is that there? Because he wasn't in a right relationship with God. He wasn't right. He had something he had to do still that God could not do for him until he did. Until he went to God on God's terms. And now I want you to look at one more verse. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Okay. You ought to have a note by 2216, this verse. And another one I'm going to give you in just a minute. What does this one say? Look at verse 5. Uh, to the, uh, let's see. I'll, I'll read. And from Jesus Christ, who is faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by being baptized. That's not what it says. Does it? It doesn't say that. By blood. So what's the logical conclusion if you put 22.16 and Revelation 1.5 together? What's the logical conclusion? Something happens at baptism. Something must happen at baptism. That when Paul was told that, those people in Acts chapter 2 were told that, and here it tells me specifically that I'm freed from my sins by his own blood. So what must happen at baptism? When I come to him, not to get a bath, but to have a clear conscience, what must be happening? I'm coming in contact with the blood. I'm coming in contact with the blood. The only thing that can, the only cure for the disease that can cure me is the blood of Jesus on that cross, the righteous for the unrighteous. Okay? That's why I'm, I'm, I'm cured 
by his resurrection. I'm saved by his resurrection. Because only his death and his coming out of the tomb. If he doesn't come out of the tomb, who is he? You know, Robert Powers can do that. I can do that. I can, somebody can kill me easy. Beat me up with a stick, kill me, put me in the ground. I'm there three days, five days, 15 days, 35 years later, I'm still there. But that's not what happened to him. So the blood has significance, the beating has significance, the body has significance when he comes out of the tomb on the third day. Okay? You can argue all you want about what he did for that three days. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. All that matters to me is he came out of the tomb on the third day. Maybe he went to hell. I don't care. I don't really. He didn't come see me there. I wasn't there. I don't know what he did. I don't care. What I care about is what he do. What did he do on that third day? He came out of the tomb and made it possible for me when I came into the waters of baptism, when I was on my knees begging, that I can have a relationship with him. I'm going home, guys. If I die tonight, today on the way home, don't cry for me. I'm going home. I'm going home. That's what I've lived for for the for the last 40 years. I've lived to go home, and I want to take as many people with me as I can. That's why I'm hoping for people who are watching that they listen to this. They say, "Oh my gosh." Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. I don't have time to read it, but it says we have redemption in him through his blood. Go read Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. I have redemption through his blood, not through baptism. Baptism apart from the blood is a bath. That's what it is. Baptism apart from the blood and the resurrection is a bath. It is not a bath now. Now it's significant. And they can say whatever they want. They can beat us up. They can they can bust us off YouTube. They can do all what they want. I'm telling you, I'll stand before any of them and say, baptism without the blood is a bath. With the blood, it is part of the salvation process, whether they like it or not. Okay? We'll see you next week. We'll finish it up. We're going to get into the, the enemies, the footstool, and all that. All right? We'll finish that chapter up. Thanks, guys.